0: This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE Intellinews. Subscribe at BNE.eu. Hello, and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Harris, the editor of BNE Intellinews. The first flush of excitement about the changes that are happening in Uzbekistan are beginning to wear off as the realities start to become apparent. The biggest problem the government faces is not the lack of ideas or even the enthusiasm for change. It's simply the bandwidth, the lack of people to implement those changes. Eugene Chasovsky, the senior analyst at Stratfor, was just in Tashkent. I talked to him about what he saw there and what he thinks is going to happen. So Eugene, good to talk. Um, You just came back from a tour in uh, Uzbekistan, uh, Tashkent, where you did the rounds there. Um, why Why did you go? What specifically were you going to look at?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me here, Ben. Um, so Uzbekistan, this is a country that I've been following closely for quite some years and hadn't had the opportunity to go until recently. I was coming from a conference in Minsk, so I decided to kind of leverage being in the neighborhood, so to speak, and to to really check in and see how things were going, primarily from the reform perspective, because we've seen you know the, the the change in government uh, a, a few years ago, some some minor changes, some pretty big changes happening on the on the economic side of things, on the foreign policy side. Uh, but as you know, with with uh, with Uzbekistan, with Central Asia in general, it's hard to get a really clear picture, and unless you're actually there, about how far things are changing. So that was pretty much the backdrop behind my trip there.
0: I, I was there myself. Um about a month ago, and I had lived there in the 90s, and I must say um, that the changes I saw, even under Karimov, were enormous. And I think that's hmm. a point that people haven't really um, come to grips with, that although Karimov was, uh, the previous president, was run down as being a bit of a dictator and a closed country, um, the, the economics of the place have improved vastly. Um, things like gold mining, when I was there, gold was so low in price that they were only making money from the cotton, about three billion a year. Um, But in the meantime, they've built an automotive industry, um, gold mining has taken off and that's become very profitable and that there's an emerging middle class to some extent, or at least um, there's a consumer market. But um, the new governments, my impression from talking to people in Tashkent was that they are in a big rush to make a lot of change I talked to one of the mayors and he was saying he's getting like 300 emails a week from the president's office, uh, but can only implement about six of them of the ideas that it contained. I mean, do, do you have the same impression of this frenetic activity?
1: I do, absolutely. I mean, and that's something that I heard a lot in my conversations as well. Which is that there is a lot of these directives coming from from the very top, but the real challenge there is the the implementation, which kind of goes more to your, you know, middle cadre, so to speak, um, and they're getting a lot of pressure uh, to to implement these changes quite quickly, and yet a lot of pushback from other areas, whether that's from the the security services, the more kind of conservative minded uh, aspects or or remnants of of the of the government, um, and that's creating some. Uh, it's It's slowing down uh, the reform process, although we have seen some pretty significant things take place in things like uh, visa facilitation there was of course the the big um, foreign currency conversion uh, which was liberalized a couple of years ago, so those are, are big successes but when you're talking about deeper reforms whether in banking um, tax reform things like that 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 is going very gradually
0: let's let's start with um the security thing first um because at the end of the day uh is, you is know, old school. He, he was pr- uh, prime minister for a long time. He came up under Karimov. And although they've liberalized the, um, the visa regime and they've let people like Radio Free Liberty back into the country and there's a bit more political dialogue. Uh, and the young people I talked to said there was definitely a, a lightening of the mood. Um, nevertheless, you know, to what extent do you think he actually is a convert to you know liberal democracy or rather isn't he just like easing the economic strings because he needs to produce growth to create jobs because of the, va- the rapidly growing young uh, population I, I can't quite get a handle on this because you know, e- even Nazarbayev um, still runs a relatively authoritarian state and my impression is Uzbekistan although it's much um more it's, it's less repressive than it was. Um the, the old levers of power are still in place?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh in terms of uh liberalizing from a from a democratic standpoint, I I'm I, I don't think that's the big motivation. The the primary aspect is, as you mentioned, economic growth and accounting for uh more and more young people that that need jobs and and I mean, under um, Karimov, uh, certainly, as you said, there there were some some significant moves made, but it was essentially a, still a very closed country. Um, and you had whether economic relationships or relationships with with uh, key powers like Russia and China and certainly the west. Uh, those were those were very much closed off. Um, and that really prevented any major investment from coming in or it certainly stunted it. Uh, and i think that um mirziyov coming in, in 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 power in a sort of a an economic downturn or or a slowing with with energy prices relatively low recognized the need that things needed to change um especially from from that economic financial perspective which is why i think those key moves were made with that in mind but uzbekistan should, nobody should be fooled this is not about to become some you know highly reformed um European style democracy. I I think, if anything, it's going to the the political um, reforms will be much much more lagging and much more moderate. Whereas in in, in the economy, in in the the banking reforms, things like that, that's where there is more room for for maneuver and for growth. So,
0: where are the main reform drives going? I mean, you mentioned the currency liberalization, which of course was the first thing that. Karimov clamped down on uh, when he attempted his, his little foray into reforms. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a huge thing, because um, it's pretty much the only country left in the former Soviet Union where they had um, dual exchange rates, uh, and those have rapidly converged now, and there's more or less free conversion, and I think the central bank just allowed um, the populace to take dollars out of cash machines only uh, last month, um, mm-hmm. which again is a free... But other than the currency reforms, what is actually being done? Where are the main drives and what do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, this is the challenge and this is what I heard a lot that the the reforms outside of currency, whether you're talking about um, really trying to bring in investment, uh, tax reform, banking reform, those are moving much, much more slowly uh, and for reasons that we already have briefly discussed, whether it's pushback internally or really you, you're having a lot of skepticism uh, from external and primarily Western investors, uh, because Uzbekistan has not exactly been the most favorable business climate for for private you know, Western companies to operate in. I mean, even relative to Kazakhstan, uh, I think the the experience there has been uh mostly negative. So one thing that I was, uh, was told repeatedly is that um, Uzbekistan, it's not even an emerging market. It's still a, considered to be a frontier market and still quite risky. Um, but that's something that the government is trying to change, um, and, but that's going to take a lot of time and, and really uh, showing examples of, well, these, these reforms, uh, they're protected by some kind of rule of law. Uh, It's not just kind of the wild, wild west anymore. And I think two years or two to three years is not a a realistic time frame to really see those reforms all the way through. It's really going to be what's going to happen in the next three, five, ten years from now to see whether Uzbekistan can make that next leap. But what do you think about that?
0: Uh, I think um, that they want to do everything quickly. Um, But you mentioned before the the middle card of qualified people to do that in the ministries simply isn't there that there's no bandwidth at all there's a lot of good ideas at the top and no one to implement them and so I've seen them reach out to various um, ethnic Uzbeks who we know in the international finance community um, but most of them refuse to work because they see more opportunity of facilitating bringing in foreign investors to invest into Uzbekistan in other words staying in the private sector than taking a ministry job and banging your head against the wall. And I think that's the main drag on the whole process. Um, and you can see it too. I mean, the banking reforms, uh, have begun and they've now liberalized the ownership of shares by foreigners, which was a big thing. Um, because Uzbekistan has no Russian banks. It has one Turkish, one Korean bank that was set up for political purposes to do with trade. Uh, and the government's terrified of, the whole banking sector is worth about $47 billion. The, the Russians could walk in and buy the entire sector overnight. Um, so even though there's a liberalization, um, they're very much keeping it in their hands. And one of the reasons is, is the banks are one of amongst the few competent people that understand business and finance. And so the government, because it hasn't got anyone in the ministry, is pushing the money that it's raising, for instance, this $1 billion euro bond they raised in February, into the banks and getting the banks to lead the investment reform drive. Um, mm-hmm. And on th- at the same time, they've also reached out to some uh, oligarchs, Usmanov uh, in particular, who's an ethnic Uzbek, but a Russian oligarch. And he's come in and he's been given management control of three of the biggest companies and he's supposed to reform them and prep them for possible IPO within two years. But all of this is because Miazov has got nowhere to go. I mean, he's reaching to wherever he can in order to put these reforms through. Um, And also, you open yourselves to to risks there, the banking crisis or the oligarchs walking off with the best assets. Um, But nevertheless, I think they're sincerely trying to make a change, um, but it's a very practical problem how you do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's worth keeping in mind. I mean, privatization is is a term that you hear thrown around a lot in the country, but it's still very much in its infancy. I think roughly 85% of companies are still state-owned and any, any companies that are in the quote-unquote strategic sector um, are essentially 100% state-owned. Is, so,
0: is there anyone to buy these companies? I mean, if they put them on the block?
1: Well, that's the thing is, I mean, I think that Uzbekistan would certainly prefer some, some Western private investors, um, but they're not coming for the most part uh, yet. Uh, you have Russia and China, obviously very much active in the country, but those are m- mostly state-owned enterprises, and they're mostly in, in those, uh, you know, more strategic sectors. So, I
0: question uh, th- that actually <laughs> the um, privatization that they wouldn't be happy for big Russian and Chinese companies to come in and buy strategic assets that they would prefer to see Western investors um, who can quote unquote be trusted. But by dint of, as you said, it's a frontier market, you're not going to get. Uh, Western investors buying into, you know, big assets like the the Navoy uh, mining company, one of their, their biggest mines, um, whereas you might get a Russian uh, firm buying into that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and I agree with you. I think that they would prefer the Western private uh, investors to come. But again, that, that still is not uh, coming as quickly um, as the government would prefer. Um, and so that's where you have to uh, rely more on on Russia and China, and that then brings its own challenges. I mean, we've seen even recently uh, one of the things that was discussed quite a bit uh, during my visit there was this recent uh, proposal or this, uh, by Russia uh, to for Uzbekistan to join the Eurasian Economic Union. Actually, quite surprising some some people even within the country um, when when a Russian official said that Uzbekistan was already studying this um, now. There are some gains to be made there from Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan's perspective, especially from the large migrant population that's um, uh, living and, and working in, in Russia and sending those remittances, but from a strategic perspective, that's something that I think Tashkent is very hesitant about in terms of constraining its diversified uh, economic relationships and its foreign policy relationships. So, whereas it might make some level of financial sense, I think if you look at it from the big picture, it's it's very uh, troublesome or very worrying for for Uzbekistan, and that's really one of the challenges. About this opening up, or about this reform process, is that it does present opportunities, but it also re- represents some perhaps um, unforeseen challenges as well.
0: Don't you think that that uh, is going to have to play um, the same game as uh, Nazarbayev in Kazakhstan? That he he needs to cooperate with his two big neighbors, China and Russia, but at the same time he's going to try. This balance, or he, ha- he needs to have this balancing act of, of keeping both at, at arm's length to some extent because uh, both of them could swamp um, the economy very easily if they're allowed to come in and buy too much. Um, and you need the money and the expertise they're bringing, but at the same time, um, you, you, you can't let them buy it. You, you don't want to sell the whole country off in, in one go and then lose, lose your sovereignty.
1: Exactly, it's 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 a double-edged sword of sorts. Where, as you say, the, the, certainly Uzbekistan wants all of the economic, uh, you know, investment, all of the trade ties to increase uh, in order to to fuel the growth, in order to to reform its economy. But but all of the strings attached, especially when you're talking about countries like Russia and China. I mean, those deals don't just come out of nowhere, um, and there's certainly some uh, some motivations, perhaps geopolitical, behind them. Uh, Uzbekistan is a country that has, you know, under Karimov was comp- very much isolated and flirted a little bit with with the the CSTO at one point, but was very much allergic, I think, in 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 general to any any formal alliance membership or any formal political uh, joining f- uh, formal political blocks. And I think uh, Mirziyoyev wants to wants to keep that intact. I, he, I think he wants to keep that multi vector policy as, as it's constantly referred intact. Uh, but that, that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're, uh, you know, a relatively uh, small country in a strategic location, surrounded by these powers that are really vying with each other. I know Russia and China have had a division of labor of sorts in Central Asia. They, there haven't been any major uh, clashes there, or uh, they're trying to keep any sort of differences that they have under the rug. Um, but those are, I think, going to uh, emerge more and more in the coming years as China becomes more... Active economically, and that translates into other things like security. So it's a, it's a problem for sure.
0: What do you think of the, the prospects for, for regional integration? Um, because, I mean, that, that's one way you could balance the interests of these two large neighbors, is that the stands themselves could cooperate more closely. And certainly, Mirza um, you know, M- 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 has been talking to, to Nazarbayev and Kazakhstan. And there's been talk of a, a, a Silk Road visa, sort of like you know the Silk Road equivalent of the Schengen visa, uh, and that would make sense in so much as you know, Uzbekistan is the only one to have borders with all the others, um, and it's got the biggest population, and it's actually the best land. I mean, it's got the most, uh, you know, um, congenial climate. That mm-hmm. it, it is the natural production and distribution centre for the for the whole region, and if you build a block out of that, that would be to everyone's advantage, but. The enmities um, that run between them, and you've got some crazy people like Burdi in Turkmenistan and Ramon in Tajikistan, um, that the practicalities of building some sort of Central Asian, you know, open trade union block, um seem to be extremely difficult.
1: Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, there have been some improvements. I mean, I think even in, in recent years under Mirzaev, he he made some effort to, uh, to strengthen relations with, with the, at least the Fergana Valley countries. So with Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, there had been constant uh, tensions under Karimov um, over things like the, uh, the border demarcation, some border skirmishes over water rights. There was an effort, and I think, you know, he, he made a lot of uh, gestures to improve that relationship. He visited these countries um, and, and that has had some tangible effects in terms of increasing trade. I think trade uh, within the region, trade has gone up by over 25 percent over the last year, something like that. But yes, I mean, if you're looking at a, a broader uh, you know, a pan-Central Asian kind of uh, union or, or, or some really comprehensive integration network, I just don't see that happening, uh, both because of deep-seated uh, um, uh, tensions and, and differences between these countries, but also because countries like Russia will probably not be very happy about that and will do what the, whatever they can to prevent some kind of unified um, you know, integration network uh, from materializing that's not, part of, that's not led by Moscow. So it's a difficult environment to be in. Um, certainly the government is doing what it can to take advantage of opportunities, but I think it's still going to have uh, way more challenges.
0: Which is why they need the investors from the West. Um, when I was there, the whole town was full of um, American investment banks and JP Morgan types and, and cities, and they're all flogging the idea of big corporate Eurobonds to, to the biggest companies. And I was told some of them were thinking about the companies were thinking about 50 million, and the guys from America were saying, no, 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 you've got to do 200 million, 300 million. Um, at that kind of ticket size, which is very tempting, uh, and they could probably get them away. But are there any investors coming? I mean, the, maybe the textile sector. I think there's actually a lot of activity there, because the government took the extreme measure of banning the export of raw cotton from next year, which has been mm-hmm. a billion-dollar um, export product. To force local companies to either, you know, set up spinning um, mills or textiles, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of interest, um, and from you know multinationals like H and M and and uh, CNA and Western companies, and having textiles made in Uzbekistan. But I think that's the only example that I've heard of.
1: Yeah, and I think one telling thing is that I heard. That there are more risk analysts visiting than investors at this point in the game, which I think is quite telling. Um, and, and that is largely because rule of law is still the big problem uh, with, with Western private companies having had bad experiences in the past. So that, that I think, is going to remain a stigma, uh, again, until Uzbekistan can do more to prove that these reforms are not just—it's uh, a good start, but there's still a lot more that needs to be done before we start to see major— investment into what you, what you mentioned, textiles, agriculture, uh, minerals. I mean, there's, there's a lot to offer in Uzbekistan. It's just going against years uh, and decades of not exactly the best operating environment. So that's really the question moving forward is to what extent can those reforms really, really uh, push through.
0: So it's very exciting, but in reality, it's going to take a generation to actually deliver the kind of changes that we'd like to
1: see. Exactly. Okay,
0: on that sort of pseudo-optimistic, semi-pessimistic note, uh, <laughs> Eugene, very nice to talk to you. Thanks for taking the right.
1: time. All right. Thanks, Ben. Always a pleasure.